0: This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Labicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going
1: to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. So today we're going to learn a text from the Mishnah, from Masachet Ta'anit, Tractate Ta'anit. And it's actually fairly unusual for a Mishnah. Usually Mishnayot are very terse and often don't contain a lot of stories. What we're gonna learn together today is actually a pretty lengthy story that's contained in the Mishnah. And Mishnah Ta'anit deals with communal fasts in response to concerns of the community, um, in particular in response to drought. Um, That's really what most of the material in the tractate is about. And so the story that we'll learn today fits into that theme. So the Mishnah teaches that the community should cry out on account of any trouble that might befall the community, except for an overabundance of rain. And the implication there seems to be that even though too much rain might be a bad thing, we don't cry out to God over it because rain itself is a good thing. And as something of a proof text, perhaps, of that, of that teaching, um, we're now gonna get our story. So the Mishnah tells of a time when the people said to Choni Hameagel, Choni the Circle Maker, we'll learn why he's called the Circle Maker in a moment. Pray that rain should fall. He said to them, Go out and bring in the clay ovens from outside, so that they will not dissolve in the water. So the implication seems to be there that is that feeling very confident about his ability to bring rain for the people um, and perhaps even his ability to bring a lot of rain if we're concerned about the clay ovens dissolving. Choni prayed and no rain fell at all. What did he do? He drew a circle on the ground and stood inside it and said before God, Rebono shel olam, master of the universe, your children have turned their faces toward me as I am like a member of your household. Therefore, I take an oath by your great name that I will not move from here until you have mercy on your children. That is, until you, God, bring rain, I am going to stand in this circle. Rain began to trickle down. Choni said, I did not ask for this. But for rain to fill the cisterns, ditches, and caves, uh, the implication being uh, with a lot of water, right? That these the trickling droplets are not what Honey asked for because they're not enough. Rain began to fall furiously. Honey said, I did not ask for this damaging rain either, but for rain of benevolence, blessing, and generosity. Subsequently, the rains fell in their standard manner, that is, rain of blessing, benevolence, and generosity. But they didn't stop until all of the Jews exited the city of Jerusalem and went to the Temple Mount due to the rain. Right, The Temple Mount is raised above the rest of the city, as it seems that that was the only dry place left in town. They came and said to him, that is to Choni, just as you prayed over the rains that they should fall, so too pray that they should stop." Right, this is too much. Um, The city of Jerusalem is flooding. He said to them, "'Go out and see if the claimant's stone," that's a large stone where people would match lost objects with their owners, sort of a communal lost and found. Um, "'Go see if that stone has been washed away.'" The implication seems to be that as long as the claimant's stone hasn't been washed away, that actually it's not really too much rain or it's not yet appropriate to pray for the rain to stop. Shimon ben Shattach relayed to Choni, were you not Choni, I would have decreed that you be ostracized. But what can I do? You nag God and God does your bidding like a son who nags his father and his father does his bidding. About you, the verse states, let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. So it's not totally clear what's happening at the end of that story, right? What piece of Choni's behavior Shimon ben Chatach has a problem with. But Shimon ben Shattach clearly thinks that Choni did something wrong. Whether that's that he should have prayed for the rain to stop but wasn't willing to... Whether it was problematic in the first place that he entered this challenge with God and said, I'm not going to move from this circle until you bring rain. Or whether it's in general being demanding about which kind of rain. Not totally clear what Shimon Shaddach doesn't like. But Shimon kind of throws up his hands and says, I can't actually criticize you um, or ostracize you from the community because it's clear that you have this special relationship with the divine, right? It's clear actually that it's true what Choni said earlier, um, that Choni is like a Ben ba'it, like a member of God's household, because Choni makes all of these demands and God listens. Yeah, I don't know. There's something kind of interesting going on there where Choni's demanding prayers work and they work uh, at a time where it seems that regular prayers for rain didn't work. Right. Right. They seem to have some kind of special power, but they also seem to be problematic in some
0: way. Right. <laughs> that you are the special person who could get away with this, but normal people couldn't. Right. Or shouldn't. Right.
1: right. And maybe I don't even like that you can get away with it, <laughs> but we just have to live with it because that's just how it is.
0: Right. And you think we have to live with it because you actually get things done? He said, "Were you not Choni, I would have decreed that you're you would be ostracized." Like, so what's special about being Choni? Is it you see results, so we'll tolerate you, or is it this being part of God's household, whatever that means? Shimon Ben Shetach could like sense that. Maybe that makes him special. I don't know. What do you think? Is there like a bigger lore about Choni in the Mishnah? So there are a few other
1: stories about Choni. I'm not sure how many are in the Mishnah versus the Talmud. Okay. But together we'll look at another story about (laughs) Choni. He certainly has lore surrounding him and clearly is a special figure in the eyes of the Mishnah and the eyes of the Talmud. Right. But I think what's happening here with Shimon ben Shetach is an acceptance on Shimon ben Shetach's part that even if I don't like it, right? And I don't like that one individual has this, like, special power and is doing all of these things that are sort of, like, outside of the norm um, of Jewish practice or Jewish prayer. I think he accepts it it because it's clear that there's some kind of special relationship with God happening here that actually... Right. God doesn't seem to have a problem with Honey's behavior. And so I think because God doesn't have a problem with it and acquiesces. Right. I think that sort of prods Shima Menchadach into being like, well, I guess I have to accept it. Because if God is going to do what you want, like I as a human being, even if I don't think this is how people should behave. Right. There's not much I can do about it.
0: Yeah. I guess that brought up two things for me. One is I feel like occasionally within like the climate movement, or people trying to make things better. There are some annoying individuals, of which I will not name, but <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that I think sometimes the attitude is, well, we don't really like how you talk in like a very combative way or how you disrespect people or this or that about you, but we actually will tolerate you and even prop you up because you get results. So that's an interesting thing that doesn't have to do with the weather at all, but it does have to do with human nature and it plays out in this realm as well.
1: For sure, for sure. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a tension here too between, you know, sometimes we see different behaviors between leaders and a community. Right. Shimon ben Shetach is part of a system that has a way of responding to drought, right? There's a series of escalating fasts and other behaviors that are intended to help people respond and cope with drought and pray for rain and like live with the anxiety of not knowing if and when rain will come and not knowing if and when there will be enough food. And that system doesn't include getting in a circle and (laughs) saying, I'm not moving until rain comes, right? Like, it's just, it's a different system.
0: Right.
1: And Khoni is kind of going out on a limb and doing something different than what's expected of the community. And I think we sometimes see that, you know, in the climate movement also, but really in all movements, where, right, we might know about certain best practices or advocate certain things for for people in general to do, or for the community in general to do. But different individuals might choose to behave differently, either because they think they have more or different capacity for different kinds of lifestyle changes than they think the average person has, or because maybe they don't agree with sort of the mainstream advice for other people. Um, But I think this is a tension that we run into also for sure, of like, what what are the behavior changes that we expect or push or try to educate the community at large about? Right. Um, and what are the lifestyle changes and behavior choices that individuals make? And what happens when those aren't the same?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious. Jewish tradition actually has a few stories where like zealots are seen as positive. Mm-hmm. And I I'm always so curious because it seems like, in general, the message I'm getting is, like, don't be a zealot. Like, we have systems that work. Like, we made these systems because they create peace and prosperity and following them works. And, like, we don't like when people, like, get out of line or do things extraordinary that cause harm or disrespectful, what have you. But then, shimshon and... right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Like, why are those stories in the Torah in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really delicate tension, right? I I think you're right that in general Jewish tradition, and especially rabbinic tradition, really comes down on the side of zealotry not being the right answer, um, and sort of creating a system, as you said, that everyone can sort of abide by together, and that's bounded. But I think... There are always individuals who have this burning, fiery passion, often for the right things. And so it's really hard to take an individual, right, who is so committed to the divine or so committed to a given project and totally disregard that, right? Like, we don't want to say, like, oh, don't care about that thing that you care about immensely, you know, if and when that's actually the right thing. And so I think that just gets kind of sticky, right? Like, we sort of have to balance that, right? We don't want the people who feel really passionate and zealous about a particular cause to lose that, right? We need that energy to motivate us to live up to whatever it is we're supposed to be doing sort of within that system of norms. But that sometimes involves some zealotry and going outside of the norms. And sometimes that's too much, right? Right, And sometimes the system can't sustain that.
0: So it's just tricky. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely tricky. And I I feel like because climate change is so existential, like it does create people like that. And we do have to kind of struggle with how far is too far, what's inspiring versus what's manipulative. So it's interesting that we have these texts. Unfortunately, as you said, it's tricky. So we aren't given clear answers, per se, but it's nice to have them there.
1: For sure. And I'll also just add, right, in terms of uh, what you said about being inspiring versus being manipulative, I think there's also being inspiring versus being just too far out ahead of the rest of the community. And Mm -hmm. so I think for those individuals who feel really zealous about responding to climate change, which is great and important, right? This is it's called a crisis for a reason. Right. But I think sometimes the people who are feeling really strongly about that, sometimes they can be sort of one or two steps out ahead of the community in a way that inspires and brings people along. Right. Um, and sometimes people are so consumed by this that it makes it hard for other people to hear and follow. And I'm not sure how effective that is either.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And to me, Khoni kept referring to the people in his community as your children, God's children. And I feel like that was one way where he brought the community along with with him in his solitary quest, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think the other difference here or the other thing that's worth highlighting is that the people send Khoni. Right? So Choni mm. doesn't just decide, okay. here's what I'm going to do, but actually the people say to Choni, pray for rain, and that's how this whole story begins. Right. And that feels really important too, right? He's not just like a rogue actor doing what he thinks is the right answer, but actually the people see something in him and send him forth to pray on their behalf. <laughs> I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the associate rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group.
0: Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Lebicki Feldman.
1: Thanks for listening and learning with us.